Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you're getting through the week, winding down, or maybe you're ramping up. Uh, got a great show planned for you. We're going to kind of open talking about some neurological health as it ties into our morning routines. This is coming out of some research in an article, um, three articles I was looking at, and I thought this was really impactful on me, so I thought I'd share it with all of you. Always trying to find reasonable and doable things that we can kind of build into our routine that are holistic. And um, we're not gonna get so much into gut health and our microbiome, but we're gonna just talk about indirectly uh, by looking at things we can add into our routine, how our mental health is tied to our gut health, right? And that's because different microorganisms that are living or housed in our gut will be you know, responsible for the release of certain neurotransmitters, right? And those will have to do with our mental health and our mood and um, you know, really Im- impact our cognitive functioning, our mood, our behavior, uh, and just looking at how nutrition and lifestyle, they're all, like I said, uh, very holistic and they're interwoven. And one thing impacts the other, which impacts the other. We're systems. Our bodies are made up of systems and they all interact and interface with each other. But we've, you know, really culturally, even academically compartmentalized, right? Mental health doesn't really pay attention to physical health. Physical health doesn't pay attention to mental health. Uh, Physical health often leaves out addressing nutrition and nutrition does have a component in mental health right? Just like we're finally looking at social factors, oppression, injustices, how they interface with mental health and physical health, right? We're also even looking at environmentalism, environmental racism, how certain certain uh, dangerous environmental factors are pl- put in place or allowed to exist in areas that are occupied mainly by black people or people of color, right? And how that interfaces then with what they have access to in food deserts. We talk about nutrition being a part of, you know, our physical mental health, but again, racism impacts what's available in what communities, right? So it's so intertwined. So this is just some things, and again, this is coming out of different areas of research, but some things we can center or fold into our days to kind of start off better. One of them is hydration. And that's something that I was chronically not paying attention to is my levels of hydration. And that would impact my mood. How? Well, being dehydrated is going to make your brain foggy. It's going to make you tired and lethargic. And that's going to be part of maybe not feeling at your most robust. And that's also not going to really prime you to be able to deal with whatever stress is coming at you. Our energy levels, which again are supported by what we're eating and our sleeping and being hydrated, are what's necessary when we're stressed and is what's necessary for us to take care of ourselves and set boundaries, right? All intertwined. So, um, Do you wake up? What do you start your day with when you wake up? I used to start my day by drinking coffee right away. Okay, well, better move is to delay the coffee and to start every day by drinking at least two cups of water. At least two cups of water. Why? Well, we've just slept for many, many, many hours and not been ingesting any fluids. And so we want to start our day by hydrating ourselves with at least two glasses of water. That is quick. That is easy. That is simple right? So we want to fold that in Uh, a study, you know, lots of studies, but um, I'm quoting one of them uh, showed increased neural activity in dehydrated individuals performing activities that engaged their brains, which essentially means that their minds had to work harder than usual. Bam. Love that. Um, What else do we have to think about? Also think about again, gut health and gut health is supported by really a plant-based diet, right? Things that are good for our guts are fruits, vegetables, beans, grains, nuts, seeds, So starting your day focusing on gut health, 
right? Staying away from animal products, at least in the morning. I think it's something you should do throughout your day, but at least in the morning and really paying attention to what you're eating in the morning. Um, let's look at this. When we talk about gut health, we know, here's another piece of research, that 95% of our serotonin, right, which is an essential part of not just appetite, digestion, and sleep, but also well-being, that's made in the gut, and that's supported by a plant-based diet. So how can we fold in more fruits or vegetables into our breakfast, right? That's the question. Focus on that. Sometimes you prepare it the night before, sometimes not. So we've got water, and then we've got also bringing in more of those plant-based things for our morning. Also, a lot of people talk about starting your day with a form of movement, right? Moving our bodies. So that's a transition into our day versus hitting the ground running, which is what a lot of us do, right? And if you can, depending on your climate and your situation, if you can maybe make that movement outdoors, just going for a brief little walk around your area, that's a way to also fold in, bump it a bum time with nature, which is very soothing and grounding. Also letting natural light wake us up. Also getting our vitamin D, which is really important, right? Exercise is important for a lot of our brain health boosting benefits. And if you take that outside, like I said, you get that, you get that nature, which is grounding and soothing to our nervous system, the sunlight, the vitamin D, bam, 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 right? That's also going to help you sleep better. It's also going to help reduce stress and anxiety. Movement gets that oxygen going to the brain. Our brains need that. That's going to help with our memory, circulation, all sorts of stuff. So again, we're talking about water, looking at what we're eating in the, in the day, in the morning, moving our bodies. I think another thing that was really interesting is uh, a lot of the articles were also looking at how we wake up. Does an alarm go off and you just jump out? Do you maybe set an alarm that has sound that slowly builds? There's also things we can sleep under that will slowly increase heat. There's also alarm clocks that will slowly bring the light in brighter. So we want to pay attention to things like that. It's always about easing into our waking state. You know, not hitting the ground running. It's kindness, kind on our body and on our soul and our minds. All right, we're gonna take a little break though. We'll be back, y'all. So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back. Um, I haven't talked in a little bit about some of these interesting uh, neologisms. I know it's a really big word, but basically it just means new terms. <laughs> new terms and new words. Um, looking at an article that, that circled back to a topic that I brought up maybe even, man, maybe a couple years ago. It's interesting to think that far back, but it was talking about what they call bird nesting. And we were looking at how people get divorced, families separate, and how what's often very traumatic on the child is not having a consistent, reliable, grounded place to live because the child is often bouncing back and forth between each parent's home. And that's actually very disruptive. And what some parents are realizing that that is actually, in doing that, you are centering the needs of the parents, which that's your prerogative. But if you wanna center the needs of the kids and it really is about the kids and you really wanna give the kids what they need, you do what they call bird nesting, where the children always live in the same home, the same home they've always known, or at least their new home. And the parents take turns going back and forth between different houses. So 
The kids don't have to have that disrupted. They don't have to have two different bedrooms, bringing their stuff back and forth, different friends. They always stay every night in the same home. And maybe it's one night on, one night off, or a couple days, however the parents handle it. But the parents are the ones that go back and forth between their primary home and their secondary home. It's called bird nesting. And that's best for the kids. Kids need consistency and structure. And so if you really want to give them what they need, that's what you do. Um, not doing that is centering the needs of the parents, which sometimes that's the case. I get it for whatever reason, you know what I mean? But I just want to kind of remind that as an option. We're always talking about other ways of being just kind of like God bless, you know, Gwyneth every now and then, I guess she does do something meaningful. She was the one who also put on the map living apart while together that some couples later in life or at any point getting together, realized they didn't need to cohabitate. They would, you know, stand, stay, stay the night at each other's homes, but they didn't always need to move in together. Now we have another term. You know, it's nothing new per se. It's just conceptualizing it. Gray divorces. Gray's in the color. Gray divorces. And those are going to triple by 2030. And gray divorces are divorce among older couples. The highest divorce rate right now as, we, as we're seeing it isn't subsiding. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because what's driving these is people realizing I am not going to settle for an unhappy marriage. So when we see the divorce rate being as high as it is, we can't go, well, that's a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. Because people are leaving relationships that are not healthy or are not working anymore. And the idea that as we live longer, we should be able to pull off relationships for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years isn't reasonable for all couples. Because it's okay to acknowledge that maybe you've grown apart or you have different needs. What, what needs you had when you were 20 or 30 aren't necessarily going to be the same psychological social or relational needs when you're in your 50s, 60s, and 70s. That's that's growth. That's life. That's evolution. It doesn't always have to be sad because divorces doesn't always mean things ad- ended poorly. In fact, I'm always working with couples on consciously uncoupling, lovingly working their way out, just like they had to lovingly work their way in. I think we've normalized and gotten too familiar with divorces being a screaming, fighting, cruel battle. And that's why we think that we get anxious when we hear of a divorce. But what if we left lovingly? What if we left with the acknowledgement, hey, we don't need to hate each other. There doesn't have to be anger. This just isn't working anymore. I'd rather couples leave when they're realizing things aren't going well versus just making each other miserable. There's a lot of marriages that should end. There's no valor or mental health in staying in something just to say we stayed married when you're making yourselves and everyone around you miserable. So great divorces is a good thing. It's, it's part of people realizing I'm willing, it's, it's increased, right? Based on people having the confidence and courage to face that the relationship isn't working, especially after children maybe leaving the home. Because a lot of people might stay together for the kids, which we know isn't in their best interest. Children need happy, safe, comfortable environments. And if you think you're hiding from your children, the, 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 the damage or toxicity of your marriage, you're not. A, because they have ears and eyes, but also because you're not able to show up to them if you yourself are miserable and dysregulated as a result of the conditions you're living in. Please don't think that if you're miserable and you're fighting a lot and you're in a toxic or abusive marriage, that that energy isn't propelling you away or towards your child. You're going to be, in, you're going to be transmitting that anxiety or that misery. It doesn't help a child to be around miserable people or miserable parents or stressed out parents, right? Or all that violence. That is, I, I think we sometimes use that as a scapegoat. We're afraid to acknowledge what we need to do and to leave. And so we say we're doing it for the kids, but you're not because that's not what they need. But back to my point, gray divorces is a good thing. People are realizing I can take care of myself. Women are finally more empowered and realizing they don't need a man to get their needs met. Women are in the workforce. You know what I mean? Women have more care and support. That's not a bad thing. So when we dig deeper into some of the research, we see that the divorce rate in some younger age groups has declined, right? But like we said, with this rise in gray divorces, that people over 50 are divorcing in record-setting numbers because they're finally saying, I have a lot of life left and I'm not going to spend any more time disconnected, lonely in my marriage or not part of something I want to be you know, in. Um, just looking deeper at some of the numbers, uh, divorce rate for U.S. population over 50 doubled in the past two decades and more than doubled for those over 65. Um, and it's not even isolated to the United States. Research shows that the same trends are happening in Canada, the U.K., Japan, Europe, Australia, India. Um, yeah, Canada has some staggering stats around that as well. But it's a worldwide thing. And why it's happening, you know, like I said, people are focusing on personal happiness happiness and fulfillment. It's a beautiful thing. You know, people drift over the years. It's not always bad. It's better to really take a look at that and to say, what do I need? What do I, you know, what do I deserve? Um, because again, I want people to have fulfillment, right? Mental health is about feeling all of our feelings honestly, but also finding purpose and meaning in the relationships that we're a part of. 
our mental health cannot be separated out from the health of the relationships we're in. Our brains are social organs, right? We're connected. We shape each other. And children are shaped as well, consciously and unconsciously, right? So I'm proud of people at all age groups making these, you know, courageous steps of going after what they want. Just leave lovingly. You know what I mean? We don't have to burn things down when we leave. I think it's important to remember that. It can we can consciously uncouple, you know? Um, man, more compassion and care in every area if possible. All right, y'all, we're gonna take a little break. We'll be back though. And of course, DMs wide open. If you've got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, past episodes, wanna check them out, binge them, post them, share them, re-listen. Go to wearechannelq.com, scroll down, look for my face in the word Loveline, click on it, and there they are. We'll be back listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Alrighty, we're back. Uh, Zoom fatigue. How y- how y'all doing with that? I know after doing session after session after clinical session, my eyes hurt. It can dry my eyes out. I also know after doing Zoom all day for therapy, it's really hard for me to want to get on the phone or FaceTime any friends or loved ones. You know what I mean? We're burnt out. Um, so what's that about? Ah, well, let's talk about it. Of course, there's some research around it. Why? Why do we have Zoom fatigue? Well, number one, excessive amounts of close-up eye contact is highly intense. Also, not normal or standard for us, right? Think about it. We are not typically maintaining direct eye contact, but in Zoom, if you look off or you look away or you look down, it can be very distracting. And it, because we can only see what we can see and we can't contextualize, if you're in a room with someone and you're talking to them, it's, you know, they can look down, they can be maybe rubbing something, touching something, right? They can break contact, they can look up. But on Zoom, it really requires and commands like consistent, forced eye contact, small breaks, but that's not normal for us. Normally we have an ebb and a flow of connection, disconnection, connection, disconnection. Even children have that, a few seconds on, a few seconds off, newborns. They look, they break contact, they look again. But Zoom requires almost ongoing, consistent, visual connection. That's exhausting, that's overwhelming, and that can feel very threatening to our system. So that's part of it. What else is that? Seeing yourself during the video chats is fatiguing. We are not used to seeing ourselves reflected back. It's distracting to look up and to see yourself looking back at yourself. You can sometimes turn those functions off. Um, but that's not typical in our normal world to watch someone and watch ourselves while we're watching someone, right? Usually we can go through an entire day and maybe not even see ourselves. But Zoom really forces both. So it can be distracting and it can also be overwhelming. That's what's so interesting about this thing, right? Is it's not normal for us to sit so still. Because in everyday life, we can move our posture around, we can move our chair around, but on Zoom, it's a very small window, right? And I noticed that about myself. I had to explain to clients, oh, if you see me looking down or doing something, I'm taking notes. They can't tell what you're writing on. They can't tell if you're maybe texting or something. You know what I mean? And you also can see people looking up and over because on their screen, they might be receiving a text or an email that they might even be reading. So... Be, be aware of that, right? That we can literally let ourselves get distracted or maybe the person we're talking to is distracted. So there's that overwhelm of not just making sustained eye contact. Then there's the overwhelm of seeing ourselves as we're seeing this person. And then sometimes there's other stimuli popping up on our screens, an incoming call, an email, a text, right? And naturally we're directed up to it. So maybe turn up the function of seeing yourself. Maybe turn up the function of having things also being able to come in while you're um, up on your phone doing that, right? Also, we, like I said, we don't have a lot of the same mobility. Zoom chats don't allow us to maybe get up or move around in a way that we could if we were in the same space with someone. You could stand up. You can maybe sit on the ground. You could get up and walk around, lean on the wall. Zoom, Zoom doesn't allow for that, so we have to hold ourselves in a position. Cognitive load is also much higher in chats, right? Um, you know, in regular face-to-face, nonverbal communication is more natural. It's easier for us. But in video chats, we have to work harder to send and receive those signals because we're not as close or they're not as clear or as crisp. So we have to sometimes over hold our presence or over um, punctuate ourselves, right? So really pay attention to that. How exhausted do you feel during and after? How irritated are your eyes? And that's why I think it's important for us to be able to turn off the visual function, We have to let go of this idea of control because that's what a lot of it is with class or work saying like, I need to be able to see everyone. Well, you want to have control. It's a power issue. It might be healthy for us mentally to turn those off, especially if it's for a long period of time, especially if we're going to be on it for a while, right? Um, We definitely want to take breaks, get up and move around. We don't want to be on Zoom for long periods of time. So maybe build in breaks or take breaks, right? And during those breaks, don't then be on your phone. 
Think about the space you're in. How high is the computer? How close or how far is it? Because that can be part of it. Raising it up, dropping it down, pulling it closer, pushing it further. Sometimes putting it somewhere we can look at it in a stand motion, right? So maybe have some kind of a platform, right? These are all the different things we're gonna have to build in more because some people are gonna be you know, moving forward doing their work more consistently or exclusively online, you know? Um, so we have to learn how to like, you know, take care of ourselves around that. Eye drops, hydration. We kind of talked about this in another segment where I was saying, pay attention to the things you have around you. What clothing are you wearing? Pay attention to the lighting. What do you smell? What do you see? Because sometimes that can be part of it. A more comfortable chair, a different chair. Sometimes going, like we said, without a chair and raising it up. Wearing clothing that feels more comfortable to sit in. Having water or a drink nearby, maybe a snack right? Dimming the lighting, raising the lighting, changing the temperature. These are all different things we didn't really necessarily always have to consider because meetings allowed us, like I said, to listen while doodling, moving your chair around. So I'm standing up. Now with Zoom, it's not always necessarily possible because it might not be professional. It might be distracting. But so we want to normalize self-care. Whenever I lecture, I always say that to people. If you need to stand up, stand up. If you want to lay on the ground, lay on the ground. If you need to walk around the room, do it. Practice being more body positive, which means honoring what our body needs to move or to stand, right? Or to relax or recline. That's body positivity. It's also mental health, right? Not worrying about professionalism, right? Or respectability and saying, hey, I'm sorry, this might seem odd, but I'm going to need to stand up. Or sorry, this might seem odd. I'm going to sit down on the ground to continue this meeting. Sorry, it might seem odd, but sometimes I'm going to look down because I need to doodle. I need my attention split. Or sorry, this might be odd, but during the meeting, you're going to see me eating or, or, or drinking water. Or the lighting might be a little lower than expected, but that's important for my eyes or my neuro health. We have to get more familiar with people asking for what they need and implementing it, you know? Um, all right, we got to take a break. Uh, we'll be back. So stick around, y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. You got something for us, drop it in there. Anything you want to know about, topics you want covered, something repeated, let us know. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, what are some good ways to get noticed on dating apps? Bum, bum, bum. I've done the typical, have a dog in your photo, and cut out friends to focus more on you. But I'm still not really attracting the kind of people I want. Oof, a thousand things. We like uh, face front pictures, pictures of you on your own, um, and also just pictures that really communicate what's important to you, who you are, and what you like to do out in the world, right? Again, remember, dating apps only give us what we call searchable qualities, height, weight, what you look like, what you're wearing. The most important qualities, we can't find out by looking at an app. Even with all those stupid questions you answer, doesn't matter. Someone's saying they're outdoorsy, I don't know what that means. That doesn't mean that they don't have moments where they're indoorsy. If someone says they like to party, I also don't know what that means, right? So it only gives us these bare bones things that really keep us trapped in focusing on what's not important. So it's really about giving ourselves a chance to have a broad spectrum of people interested in us and vice versa. When in doubt, take time and figure it out, go out with them. Um, we have to give people more of a chance. We're, we're, we're trying to assess what takes experience and time with someone. We're trying to assess that with these really basic things and we can't. And so photos and what you put in your profile can only take you so far. So the best you can do is put things that are really kind of specific and authentic to who you are. Factors that maybe stand out and are profound saying things like, I like hiking in LA. doesn't really tell someone anything because everyone puts that, you know. Um, focus on the positive, not the negative. Instead of listing all the things you don't want or don't like, list the things that you do want and you do like. But again, at the end of the day, it's really about us giving each other a chance. And I'll kind of circle back and cover something that I've shared on the show before and I want to remind you all. It's come up in sessions. We need to do a couple things. One of them is we need to know the difference between deal breakers and red flags. Listening through, listening to uh, patients and friends dating stories, certain things that should be red flags, which mean we need to get more information, we need to find out more, we need to track it. People are dumping into the deal breaker box. Um, certain things are being said or done on apps or while talking. People are like, I'm out. And that's not what it's about. Most of the things are actually red flags, which means let me let me find out more. Maybe that was just something they did accidentally or they're in a bad mood, whatever it is. But we're kicking people out 
based on the smallest infractions. Someone says something, it felt too cocky. Someone didn't like an answer, they're out. It, it's ridiculous. You know, deal breakers are things like they're harsh, they're mean, they're violent, they have a, you know, unchecked mental health or addiction issue that they're not addressing, they're not kind. You know, those are those are really big profound things, things that are actual issues, right? But someone frustrating you, disappointing you, making you sensitive, those are like red flags. And I can only speak vague because you're not giving me solid examples, but we need to hang in there longer and be a little softer. I'm hearing stories and people are bouncing so quickly over the smallest things. And it's like most of the people I know and I work with, when I'm listening to their stories, they are keeping themselves single. They are not, are, they are not calming down. They're not staying open. They're not hanging in there. They're not giving things a shot. It's like, I didn't like what you just said, blocked. You know what I mean? That didn't feel good, blocked. Oh, you're not available Saturday night. I'm frustrated, blocked. Oh, I can't hang out with you. And then I might have later plans. Oh, I'm offended by that. I want to be the priority for the night, blocked. It's like, whoa, we are triggered by everything and anything. Breathe. A lot of people also have what we call dating app burnout. If you're going on the apps and you're angry and resentful and bitched up and you're picking fights, take a break for the day, for the week, for the month. If you're not going on there feeling good, and if you're not getting off there still good and grounded, you're burnt out in your life or on the apps. Take a break. People are getting on there and just staying in fights, picking fights. That is not what any of this is about. So be softer, be more open. Deal breakers are, are real things. Frustrations, disappointments, and all that are just red flags. Hang in there, find out more, give them another shot. But most likely, you are not being open. You are not giving people the benefit of the doubt. You are not staying regulated. It's quite wild. So we got a lot of work to do that around that. It's, it's hard to get a little more specific without examples, but uh, when I find them, I will give them to you. So we just got to kind of hang in there longer and when in doubt, go out because you don't know what it'll be like in real time and that's where the magic happens. All right, taking a little break. Stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Live with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All righty, y'all, we are back and uh, got a lot to talk about in the next couple of uh, segments. One of the things I wanted to just pop into quickly is, uh, you know, it often feels like um, every every week or every month, there's a thousand months, right? Like uh, we got Suicide Awareness Month. This month, we have Sexual Health Month. This month, it's hard to keep up and, and to cover it all, but I do my best. So I just wanted to do a quick little few minute check in around sexual health because it's sexual health month. I know that this is something we often do. I want to get back to doing it more. So just a few things. We're not going to cover everything, but just a few reminders. Um, sexual health month. So what does that even mean? Well, there's you know the psychological and there's the physical. Let me talk quickly about the psychological. Sexual health means that our sex and eroticism, our sex lives with ourselves, with others, that no one is harmed. And I don't mean that in terms of kink and BDSM. That's not harm. That's pain in service of pleasure. And that's consensual. It's informed. I mean harm as in if you're having sex that harms someone because they're not aware of what's happening. They're not aware of what you're interested in. You know that they like you more than they let on. And it means something more like we're not using our dating life, our romantic life, or our sexual life to make other people's lives harder or to harm them, right? So that that's about manipulation, betrayal, lying, cheating, infidelity. That's a misuse of sex. Sex is something that's supposed to have nothing but positive qualities. It's supposed to be for fun, for entertainment, for bonding, for self-pleasure, you know, pleasure, for transformation, for intimacy building, to build relationships and friendships, right? Um, to meet people, to expand ourselves, to work on our body esteem, to work on our sexual esteem, to work on our general self-esteem, right? It's supposed to have all positive qualities. It should be, like I say, like dessert, right? Sex is like a donut. It, it should not make our lives harder or more difficult. It should be something that gives us a moment of joy. It, it enhances our day. It enhances our life. It enhances our well-being, you know? So sex shouldn't harm. It should always be compassionate and consensual. And that means consensual means they know what, what it entails behaviorally, but they also know the meaning in it. If you're misrepresenting your interest or what's going on, you're harming someone psychologically and emotionally. That is harm. That is not consensual. It's not compassionate. So make sure, because we talk a lot about consent, but also should be kind and compassionate. Okay, let's talk about some of the physical. Check the expiration dates on your condoms. Also check the conditions around which you keep your condoms. Condoms should not be kept in the heat, so please don't keep them in your pocket in the glove compartment. That is how they erode and degrade, right? And they will be damaged. Also check the expiration dates. They expire. 
Most people don't check expiration dates on those. Uh, most people have had the same condoms laying around. <laughs> uh, don't clean and reuse condoms. Make sure you put it on. If you put it on wrong, throw it away, start again. Don't use the same condom for more than one partner. And don't use the same condom for two different entry points. If you're having vaginal penetration with someone, you need to use a different condom if you're then gonna do anal. If you're gonna do anal between two different people because you're having sex with more than one partner, you need to use a different condom. Also, sex toys. We wanna clean our sex toys after each time we use them with ourselves or someone else. Some people just throw them in a drawer, throw them on the ground, grab them again. Soap and water, that's all you need. Let it air dry. Also, sometimes consider maybe putting a condom over the sex toy, depending. But we wanna, we wanna, we wanna take care of these things because these are how we can transmit uh, STIs and STDs, infections and diseases, right? Um, what else? Thoroughly cleaning and just, you know, a final mention, mention of, uh, getting, getting tested and talking about status. We don't use words like, are you clean? Oh, they're clean because someone coming up positive for an STD or STI doesn't make them dirty. That means they are sexual. And if you are sexual, you will most likely come in contact or get an STD or STI. It's not a big deal. It's not a bad thing. It's far better than getting the flu. The flu leaves you at home on the couch pooping your pants and has snot coming out of your nose. STDs and STIs, most of them, you just go get a pill and a shot in your butt and you're back to life in two seconds and you can have sex again in a few days. It ain't that deep. But somehow we make sexually transmitted infections and diseases especially heinous. Why? Why? If you give someone the flu, you're like, oh, bummer. Well, STDs and STIs should be the same thing. Worry more about you know sick babies and dirty doorknobs because again, if you get the flu and virus from that, you're knocked out for a few days. Like I said, pooping your pants and you know snot coming out of your nose. It's far grosser and lasts far longer. STDs and STIs, the bulk of them are curable and very quickly, but we need to be able to talk about it. And we're not going to be able to talk about it if we're still using words like dirty or shaming people. So if someone out of respect calls you to say you need to get tested, we had sex and I think you know you might've come in contact, I came back positive or something, your only answer should be thank you. Thank you for being respectful enough to tell me. We can't get mad and we can't punish. Because if we're asking questions, because we're always responsible for our sexual health, so we can't always expect for someone to disclose, we always have to say, when's the last time you were tested and what were those results? We don't get STDs, we take them. We are active participants. If you're having sex with someone, you know that that is possible. We don't talk about safe sex, we talk about safer sex. Because no interaction with another human being is completely safe from viruses and bacteria. Anytime you touch someone in any capacity, share a drink, shake their hand, sit near them, we're learning that with things like COVID, you run the risk of getting, you know, something getting transmitted. That's part of the game. And so it's a matter of time if you're a sexual person and we have to be willing to call people and tell them and we have to be willing to get that phone call and say, okay, thank you for telling me. We have to have respect and care. That's what will make people be willing to get tested and to disclose. But if we're attacking and shaming and all of that, no one's gonna tell you. And that's part of why some people don't get tested. They don't even wanna know. You know, so we have to normalize that, these conversations and these things happening so that we can all look out for each other, right? Because that's what it is. We're looking out for each other. All right, got to take a little break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about an interesting study I saw on some of the stuff that came out of it around longevity. Stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Lady Gaga's jazz and piano Las Vegas residency returns to Park MGM October 14th through the 31st. Go to wearechannelq.com for your chance to win two tickets, a hotel stay at Park MGM, round trip airfare for two, plus $500 in spending money. Tickets are on sale now at ticketmaster.com. Don't miss Lady Gaga's jazz and piano residency shows Las Vegas. We'll be right back with more Loveline. Alrighty, we're back and... uh I was looking at this article. Some of it's good. Some of it's ridiculous. This is out of Prevention Magazine, and it's 31 surprising signs that you'll live to 100. Some of it was a little, um, I don't know, you know, health policing and not really looking at cultural factors and forces as to why health isn't always a personal responsibility. A lot of times we're at the mercy of other systems, right? Uh, but I thought some of these were really interesting. I like the subtitle. It's the little things you do that add years to your life. But that actually, in fact, is true. You know, sometimes we're struggling with larger things, but sometimes these little things make big differences. Uh, the first thing they come to, and I, and I appreciate some of this, is that uh, part of longevity and being healthy mentally and physically is moving your body as much as possible. We know that. We get that. Um, they always show pictures of like yoga, the gym, running, but it really is about just moving your body. You can hula hoop. You can roller skate. You can do jumping jacks. You can go for walks. You can take the stairs. Just move your body, you know, if you're interested in health and if you can, you know, um, 
you know, we were saying that in another segment. I was saying like, yeah, try to get outdoors with it too. Get a little vitamin D, some sunshine, see other people, you know, get natural light. Maybe take your shoes off, let your feet touch the bare earth. Um, skipping that one because that's a little body shamey, that one too. Um, <laughs> eating more fruits and vegetables. Yeah, we know that. We know that. Get into some of these other ones because there are some better ones. Tea. I always found that interesting when they talk about, yes, black tea and green tea have a lot of healthy components. Get it. It was also interesting when they show the studies that show people that drink black tea and green tea inherently are healthier, but we also know that some of it's um, not causation, some of it's correlation, which means that those that drink tea often also do other health factors that help. And it's not always necessarily the tea as much as it's the lifestyle that people that also drink tea, right? And that's always important to think about. A lot of these studies when they say, if you do this, you'll live longer. If you do this, you're healthier. Sometimes it's more that the people that do that have a healthy lifestyle and that's why they do that, right? And that's more of the lifestyle and not just that specific thing. That all things considered, if you just drink green tea, that's not necessarily gonna be powerful enough. But it does have good, powerful components, right? Um, what is it? Actually, I'm looking at the wrong thing as I try to read what it has in it. Anyway, you get the point. Um, what else are we talking about? We talked about moving your body, man. They're really driving that home is like over and over and over. Um, yeah, there's another example of that up oh, another one, man, this is an interesting one. You're the life of the party. And what that means is it says the study shows that outgoing people are 50% less likely to develop things like dementia, uh, also less stressed. And again, I think that's a thousand reasons. People that are more sociable or go out more have healthy distractions, right? Which take them out of their mind and they're not able to sit and maybe ruminate or over-focus on what's going wrong. We also know that people that have more social connections and socialize more have healthier brains and nervous systems. Those are social organs and they're enhanced by socialization, but also because we know that there's someone else in it with us. We have people to turn to and that will always make us more resilient and more robust. Resiliency is really about access to social supports. That's really what resilience is. Having Knowing that people are there literally or even just symbolically will always make you feel better, tolerate something better and decrease the negative impacts and especially the trauma. It really does. Studies show that over and over. That's one of the most powerful things to help people reduce the impacts of a trauma and maybe possibly you know, prevent them from stepping into uh, post-traumatic stress is how available were their social supports before this happened, during, and especially after, and that that has a significant impact. Um, there's also this odd word they threw, and I've never really heard it used like this. You'll live longer and healthier if you're a flourisher. 17% uh, of Americans are flourishers. Oh, that, that's not a good thing if it's that low, which means they have a positive outlook on life, a sense of purpose, community, and they're healthier than the other kind of people, which are called languishers. 10% are languishers, and those are people that don't feel good about themselves. Most of us fall somewhere in the middle. But again, that falls into um, other factors, like you know, racism, homophobia, body shaming. It's really hard to be a flourisher and to be happy and to feel like you have a positive outlook and be part of community when you're dealing with institutions and systems that are actively you know, working against you. You know what I mean? Like someone who's without a home has all these systems where people that are homeless are shamed and mocked and not cared for and supported. Well, of course they're not gonna be a flourisher. We've set them up to not be able to be, right? And if someone's gay, well, we live in a homophobic culture. So that's gonna impede their ability to really feel great in this world. That's not an inside job, that's an outside job. And that's where I get frustrated when they're like, oh, self-worth is an inside job. You know, feel good about yourself. You can't if you're living in a world that's telling you you're not important or of worth or value as, you know, we watch like the Trump administration who rolled back, you know, gay and trans rights and different states that are trying to make it illegal to support your trans child. And that person, it's an inside job. They're supposed to be better than all of that happening around them. That's very victim blaming. It, you're supposed to feel bad when a large segments of the world are actively working against your well-being. Like that's a very reasonable response, right? Um, I like this one. You'll live longer and flourish if you feel younger than you are. I feel like I'm about my early 20s. <laughs> Not these days, it's everything hurts and I feel like I'm constantly dealing with new medical issues. Oof. Um, they also bring up if you embrace the challenge. 89% lower risk of developing Alzheimer's. Um, if you consider yourself to be self-disciplined, that's an odd one. Some of these are just very uh, sound bitey. You really like your friends. We know that good interpersonal relationships act as buffers against stress. Oh my gosh, some of these are, you embrace tech. Yeah, but some of that tech is just us policing ourselves in ways that aren't good. Um, started menopause after 52. Studies show that naturally experiencing it later can mean an increased lifespan. 
Women who go through menopause later in life have a much lower risk of heart disease. That's interesting. Also, you live longer if you've had a baby later in life. Now there's a good positive to having giving birth later in life. If you got pregnant naturally after age 44, you're 15% less likely to die during any year after the age of 50 than your friends who had babies before the age of 40. That's an interesting one. Um, being a mom at a young age is good for you apparently. Uh, not snoring is a good sign. <laughs> Getting your vitamin D levels checked. It's endless and some of these are kind of like over the top and ridiculous. You have a traffic free commute, which basically means, you know, far less stress in your life. This is a good one. You attend religious services at least once a week. Well, it doesn't have to be religion. Spirituality, we know, does that as well. That's a powerful indicator of people's general level of happiness is not just social relationships, but also some involvement or connection to a spirituality or a higher power, which makes sense because, you, again, you feel like there's a, you know, something to turn to, a greater reason for things. It helps make meaning out of suffering, which is always mentally beneficial. All right, we got to take a break. Stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, just popping in quickly to check a you know a little sober commentary. How do we support our sober friends? Um, look, summer is uh, coming quick and fast, and summer's a time that you know a lot of people get sober, and also sober triggers emerge. More outdoors, more events, more parties, holidays. It's very hard. So, how do we act as a good support for our sober friends and family members? Right. Uh, first off, be patient. For a lot of people, early on in sobriety, but even with longer-term sobriety, there's a lot of new things that emerge. You know, what might have felt very stable and secure at one time might not at another time. Uh, Certain seasons are easier or harder depending on how many things they're invited to or have to pass on. Know that. It's really hard when our culture centers alcohol as a participant in everything. It's Thursday night, let's drink. It's your birthday, let's drink. We had a bad day, let's drink. We had a good day, let's drink. People that are sober can often feel left outside of that. Um, if you're a non-drinker, you know, there's not that many things that you might go do with a friend on a weeknight. You're not going to go to happy hour, grab a drink, you can grab dinner. I mean, there are things you can do, but a lot of them send, tend to center around bars and clubs, especially in age brackets. And if you're single, so just be patient. It's not a linear process. It often is circular and it can be a little bumpy and very isolating whether or not, uh, the sober person has sober friends. So, you know, just kind of hang in there with them. Um, also, make sure they know that you are still interested in being their friend. Some people do drift from people getting sober because maybe their life really is centered in bars, clubs, drinking, and drug use. And a sober person becomes a bummer, a bummer, a downer. It really reflects back to them how much partying they do. There can be a lot of different reasons, but sober people can sometimes lose friends or, you know, worry that maybe friends won't still find them fun or interesting. So if this is someone that's interesting to you and important to you, still maintain a relationship with them and even let them know that, you know what I mean? Like your sobriety is a good thing and that's not going to get in the way of our friendship. Um, cause that does happen. And it also makes dating harder sometimes because some people don't understand what a world can be like that doesn't involve drugs or alcohol, which is mind boggling to me. When people are like, what do you do then if you don't go to bars and clubs or drink? Like, are you kidding? (laughs) But that does happen. So be supportive of their recovery. Don't poke holes in it. Don't put it down. Don't don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it difficult. Make it easy for them. Be supportive, you know? Let them show up late if they need to. Let them maybe bring a sober buddy. Let them leave early. You know, there's a magic moment in the night when often things change. You know, in the beginning of the night, it really is about coming together or celebrating someone's birthday or watching the game. But there's a magic shift when it really then just becomes about getting loaded and wasted and it's hard to connect. And that's usually when sober people leave, when that magical shift happens. So support them leaving early or maybe not even feeling comfortable going to certain things. You know, you have to understand that. They're like, I don't really feel safe going to that. Or I'm having a rough day. I don't really want to go to a place or be around people that are drinking because it's just going to highlight what I can't do or what I'm not doing. Um, Also, you know, reach out and plan some sober activities with them, but also maybe reach out and offer them, remind them that you're, you know, interested in being a part of your life. There's so many things you can still do, coffee, hikes, game nights, movies. There's, you know, the world can exist without alcohol. Maybe even remove alcohol from some of the things you might normally do that involve alcohol. It's okay for you to go, you know, a night or so without the booze, you know, the partying. Um, Also think about not using sometimes maybe around your friends on a larger scale. You know, maybe you let your friend know, hey, it's gonna be very drug or alcohol related. So we understand if it's not something you're comfortable with, right? So plan things that don't involve that, but also don't surprise them with it. Let them know if it's gonna be there so they can maybe make the decision to not go or to bring a sober friend with them or to go in a different way. You know, it gives them a chance also to check in on how secure they feel in their sobriety that day, you know? 
Um, don't be judgmental, you know? Um, don't offer unsolicited advice. Don't question them. That also can come up where people are like, oh, I didn't realize you had a problem or I don't think you have a problem. It really doesn't matter what you think your experience is. If someone says it's something I've chosen to do to remove drugs or alcohol or take a break from it, that's never gonna be a bad thing. Always let them know that that's a smart thing and support that. That's one of the number one things people bring up. Like, what's my identity now? Right, because it's an identity shift. Some people, their identity was tied to the friends they ran with or the things they did. Also, their relationship to fun. Like, can I still have fun? Will I still have fun? Also, their relationship to success. You know, was I a great performer, artist, or whatever it was because of my drug and alcohol use? How might that now change my relationship to these important parts of my career, my life, my identity? Because that's all in there. We don't really realize that. But the world is so centered in alcohol that you're not going to notice that until you're on the other side of it, right? Looking in. But more important than that, they just want to know that their life can maintain some, some um, familiarity and that they're not going to lose everything and everyone. Like I said, dating's hard. Holidays can be hard in ways that you might not understand, you know? And just knowing that they have friends that support them there or even while not there is really meaningful. Um, because this is something that is part of their mental health and their physical health, right? And, and we don't want to become an enemy of that. We want to be supportive of that. We want them to know that a world exists because early sobriety and even long-term sobriety, but early sobriety especially can be very fragile as someone's kind of trying on this new way of being this new identity. And what really helps it stick is when they see that there's sustainability in it and that it can, they can still have a happy life, a happy full life. It's very hard to stay sober when you think it's going to be about loss and deficit and limitations and negatives, and it isn't but it can feel that way. So try to be a support by letting them know that it doesn't have to be that way. You can still be a part of, we can still do things. We can do things differently at times, you know? So anywho, all right, coming up next, we're gonna slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Stick around, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Modelo. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, is there such a thing as texting too fast? I'm generally always with my phone and I'm a fast responder. Sometimes I think that maybe I respond too fast and people get kind of weirded out that I'm always on my phone. I'm not. I just need it for work. So it's always next to me. But it's not like I'm scrolling on Instagram for hours or anything like that. <laughs> I actually think this is a really good question. Uh, no, be where you are, be where you're at, do what you do. If people are overwhelmed by your responsiveness, let them struggle with that. Don't take on the burden of someone else's opinion about the fact that you're always on your phone. I, I'm polarized. There are times where I'm always on it because I'm checking it between sessions for client emergencies. And so I'm very responsive. And then in my private time outside of my clinical hours, I stick my phone in a drawer and I don't want to be bothered. You know what I mean? I connect with the friends that are important to me, but otherwise, so be where you are. You know what I mean? It's like I say with dating and everywhere else in the world, be yourself and let those that align with that and value that stay present and be present. And those that are overwhelmed will block you, drift off, whatever it is, you know? We're, we're learning to live more fully and authentically in our lives. And we're not, you know, apologizing for things that are just healthy and authentic to who we are, you're fast on the phone. And for some people, quick texting is also because they like connecting. They're excited to connect with someone. They have a lot to share. Let's not shame availability. You know what I mean? If it's too much for you, then, then they don't need to respond back. You know what I mean? If they, were, if they text you and you text right back and that's too fast for them, they can be an adult, put the phone down and come back to it when they're ready. But 
if that's upsetting to them, then it's their issue to solve and to calm down around, not tell you to stop because they can't calm down. You know what I mean? If we don't like someone else's behavior, set a boundary or chill out. But I'd rather people be overly available than under available. That's the relational trauma. People that aren't available, aren't responsive, aren't consistent. That's the trauma. Let's not do that. I'd rather be overly available. But we also have to be reasonable. Some people expect people to be immediately available. No, no, you know, it depends on people's life and lifestyle. But I do like the idea that you're noticing time on the phone. You know, I'm horrified sometimes when people look at the amount of time that their phone will tell them they've been on it. And it's like, yo, that is time away from real relationship. For some people, texting and FaceTiming and all that is part of, but it shouldn't be a replacement for, you know what I mean? We need FaceTime literally face to face. We need touch. We need proximity. Those are the parts that really build a robust, healthy relationship with us and whoever we're, you know, thinking of or, or, or relating to. Um, so don't get too reliant upon using your phone as the only method of staying connected or to be participating in a relationship, right? Uh, phones are essentially just supposed to be for quick communications. And I appreciate for some people due to mental health issues, ability or disability, uh, distance, right? Where they live geographically, that maybe most of the relationships exist with their phone. Thank God we have that. And that's okay. We, we have to be where we are and use what we need. But ideally, if you have access to people, we want the proximity, we want the eye contact, and we want the touch. That's what really keeps our brain, which is a social organ maintained and, and health is dependent upon other relationships. Our brain health requires the brains of others. Our brains are only separated by our skin. Just like neurons in our brains have a social, uh, just like neurons in our brain have synapses that are used to keep them all connected and transmit information, our brains have social synapses where our brains are held together by other brains, by a social synapse where we communicate things consciously and unconsciously. And we need to be around people to really pick up their tone of voice, their posture, the words they're using. We, we, we do a lot of communicating via eye contact, especially traumatized people. Um, people with a lot of relational trauma early in life or even as adults, they're constantly scanning unconsciously for threats or signs of danger. We have to be with someone. That's why a lot of fights happen on the phone. We can't see the person, hear the person, right? So we can misjudge, misinterpret, and then we can attack. It's easier to attack when we're not looking at them or with them. And that's why I say no serious conversations on the phone. That is for FaceTime or at least getting on the phone, the bare minimum, but wait till you see them. Texting should just be thinking about you. How's your day? When can I see you? You know what I mean? But people are letting fights and conflict play out on their phones. That is not healthy. That is not adult behavior. So tell your partner, moving forward, serious conversations, we wait till we see each other or we get on the phone. That has to be a bare minimum rule that you can all subscribe to. And then hold it. If they fire off a bunch of texts, say, hey, let's wait till I see you tonight. We'll talk then. Love you. And hold that. You know what I mean? Help them. Um, that is our show, y'all. We'll be back on Monday. Have an awesome weekend. Focus it on joy and pleasure, please, and rest. You know, focus on connecting with people. Reach out to three people a day. Stay close, stay connected. Be there for someone. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. Y'all enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.